Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us in person and online for worship today. We are glad you are with us. We are continuing today in our study of King David. And uh, we're going to come to one of the most well-known Bible stories in the whole Bible, which is where David defeats Goliath. You like that one, boys and girls? That's a good one, isn't it? Come on, how about the big boys and girls? You like that one? Amen. Amen. So we started last week, and we saw King David, probably 13 years old, get anointed to be the next king of Israel. And we talked last week about how King David's dream was intimacy with God. That King David's most important thing was to be with God, was to uh, love on him. And it was out of that relationship that Psalms like Psalm 23 were written, where David had this deep and passionate relationship with God and was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now all of these Old Testament stories are given to us so we can learn from them. So each week we're going to have to translate what happened in the Old Testament and what's available in the New Testament. But now we get, and I saw some of your I wills last week, to ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit every day, multiple times a day, to pray over your children to be filled with the Spirit, to pray over your spouses to be filled with the Spirit. Because the modern application is not just one person here or there in the New Testament who has the Holy Spirit, but because we follow Jesus, we get access to the Holy Spirit. And so I trust that last week was a week where you awoke and you pursued the Spirit and the presence of God. I know my I will statement for last week was that God would be my dream every day. And I, I had a wonderful week of waking up early and pursuing God and pursuing that time with Him. And I trust that you are walking in that as well. Now, for today, we're going to talk about the battle. Uh, that, that amazing moment where the 15-year-old, maybe, David, we're not sure how old he is, but where he tackles the giant. We're going to do that in five little sections because it's quite a long chapter. We're going to look, first of all, at the scary giant and uh, the coward King Saul. And then we're going to switch into the faith-filled, uh, uh, fearless shepherd who comes in and sees this giant insulting his God. And then we're going to look at this little section where David, uh, Saul wants David to wear his armor. And it's going to remind us that we have to remember to be who God made us to be. And then we're going to look at this victory and just how total it was. It wasn't just a partial victory. It was a total victory by God. And then there's a little postscript, uh, which is the end of chapter 17, a little bit of the beginning of 18, where we see the rise of David. It's kind of like the rise of Skywalker. The rise of David as he comes out of the ashes uh, of this uh, uh, obscure little town of Bethlehem that he was from and uh, begins to be famous in the nation of Israel. And that's a test for him. And how will he handle that test? 
So that's what we're going to do uh, today. And the topic is, what are my giants? Because what I want you to do today as we go through this text is to think about what giants are in your life. What, what are those things that just seem so difficult to overcome? Things that you might be afraid of, things that you worry about, things that keep you awake at night, things that interrupt uh, the flow of your relationships. And those giants, those things, whether it is COVID-19, or it's just fear, or anxiety, or maybe it is depression, maybe it is uh, work, maybe it is, uh, like in my case, uh, the giant that always has loomed in my life is the fear of man, the, the desire for other people to like me, and, and what that does in my life. Uh, and so whatever your giant is today, I want you to not let the enemy suppress that and make you not want to talk about it, make you not want to share it, but to let it into the light. And we're going to give you some time later in the message to spend some time talking about what could be your giant. So if you're here together with someone today, you, you'll have a couple minutes to talk about that. And if you're home watching online, then you'll have some time to talk about that. What I want to do now, though, is lead into this section by praying through Psalm number 5. And uh, I want to specifically, that was one of our texts for today. It's amazing that God is allowing David to write the Bible. God is actually allowing David, because David knows him so well, he's allowing him to describe who God is. And it's actually David's perception of God written down is now one of the ways we learn about God because this is this message was approved by God this message in Psalm 5 so I'm just going to pray through this part of the Bible I'm going to focus in on verses 6 3 to 6 so father in the morning Lord you hear our voice in the morning we can lay our request before you and wait expectantly Lord Teach us to pray. Teach us about this daily intimacy in the morning and in the evening and any time with you. And Lord, you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. This arrogant cannot stand in your presence. That perfectly describes Goliath, Lord. And I pray, Father, that uh, we would see that they cannot stand in your presence. We would see, Lord, that you hate all who do wrong, that you destroy those who tell lies. Yes, physically in the Old Testament and spiritually now, Lord, you destroy the powers and principalities, the bloodthirsty and deceitful uh, forces of wickedness in the spiritual realm, Lord. You detest those and you give us weapons that destroy strongholds. And as David finishes this psalm, Lord, saying, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. We remember that in the kingdom of God we are blessed and that you surround us with your favor as with a shield, that you surround us, Lord, and in, on top of that you've given us the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. And we put these things on now, Lord, and we recognize that we're blessed as we trust in Christ, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. 
And the church agreed and said, Amen. 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 All right, I'm going to have Jamie come on up here, and we are going to work through 1 Samuel 17 together. Would you guys welcome Jamie? All right. Amen. All right, so uh, the story in 1 Samuel uh, 17 starts, and the first three verses we see the setup of what's going on. The Philistines. Now, by the way, the Philistines are these seafaring warriors. They came from Crete. Their civilization was more Greek than it was Middle Eastern. They came from the island of Crete. They, they came to, the, to Israel looking for food. And they came right at the same time that Joshua was bringing the Israelites into the promised land. So the Philistines are the age-old enemies of the, Israel, as the Israelites, and they are gathering their forces for war, and they're assembled at Soko, which is in Judah. So they've come from their headquarters, which is Gath. On the right-hand side of this picture, you see Gath. That's on the Mediterranean, and that's about 20 miles that way. To, you, are, you are looking in this picture, you are looking south. So to your right is west. That's 20 miles away is the Mediterranean, and there uh, uh, on the left side of the picture is where they're gathered at Soko. That's that last town on the left over there in the picture. The camp is just outside of that in Ephes Damim, all right? And then I just want you to see that little circle on the hill on the bottom left of the picture. We're going to come back to that. And then in the middle is the Elah Valley. That valley runs 20, 20 miles this way to the ocean, and it runs 20 miles east inland up the hill to Jerusalem. It's actually one of the access points to Jerusalem. And the Philistines are up on the one hill on the south side. The Israelites are on the hill on this side. And then you have the town of Azekah. So they're infiltrating into Israelite territory. This is Judah where the Israelites are. And the Philistines are staring at the Israelites. One on top of the mountain on the other side of the valley. One on top of the mountain this side of the valley. And a champion who is from Gath comes out. His name is Goliath, and he's insulting the Israelites. Now, this guy is nine feet, nine inches tall. The armor he's wearing on his body is 125 pounds, and his spear weighs 15 pounds. Okay, in the, in the Olympics, they shoot a javelin. That weighs about eight ounces. The shot, this thing is like a shot put, this spear, all right? And this Goliath is a mixed breed, between the angels and human beings. We don't know exactly his origin, but he represents the satanic destruction of mankind. He is bad news. He is a bad guy. And so he comes out, and uh, the Israelites, it says, that they were terrified. Now Saul was a foot higher than everybody else in Israel when he got made king. He should have been the guy to step up in this situation. But we read in verse uh, 10 that he's terrified. And so, so goes the king, so goes everybody else. They're all scared. Jesse's oldest sons, David's oldest brothers, they're there, three of them. Now, to be in the army, you had to be 20 years old. So we know that David's three older brothers are above the age of 20, and then the ones 
that are older than him are all under 20, and he's the youngest. So he's maximum 15 years here uh, in this story. And every morning and evening, the Philistine came forward and insulted the Jews, at, literally at the time of the morning sacrifice in Jerusalem and the afternoon sacrifice. So it was a spiritually offensive statement against the Israeli people and their God. Jamie, do you have anything on that section? No, I was just, I, yeah, I was just going to say that I think when we, when we think about making this personal to us, is this concept of being paralyzed by fear is a big deal in our lives. Because the Bible says that they were dismayed. In verse 11 it says they were dismayed. That means, that word means to be in terror, to be afraid, to have panic, to have confusion. And it, it, it's something that paralyzes Saul. Like Dennis said, Saul should have stepped up. And the Israelites should have stepped up, but they were afraid of this giant. And it's funny, Moses is talking to the people of Israel, and he says, I told you not to be dismayed. He uses that same word. But you didn't go into the land. Remember, there were 12 spies that went in, and 10 of the spies come back and said, there's giants in the land, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. So literally, the people of God don't even go into the promised land because of a giant. And now we have Saul, who, same thing, dismayed, in terror. So I just want to just press the point for us. When we feel locked up and paralyzed, there is something that we are trusting more than God. Yeah. There's something that we believe yeah. will not sustain us, and it forces us from stepping into what God has called us to do. And I'm getting riled up because there's something inside the kingdom that says, I will not allow anything else to distract me from following Jesus. But the enemy is happy to make us scared of all kinds of things. Amen. And locks us up. So anyway, I'm going to throw back to Dennis. So that's section one. And, and if you have any comments as we go, you can just put your hand up and... Um, we're going to allow uh, some input, one or two comments per section here. And same thing online. If you've got comments, we've got uh, Rob and Leslie monitoring the social media. We want to hear from you because uh, as we work through this. But to sum up this first section, we're just going to say fear robs our destiny. Fear robs our destiny, and it gets in the way of what God wants to do. So we'll move on to section two. And as I said, you can jump in along the way if you have something. Uh, and we're going to cover these, and then in section four, we're going to give you a couple of minutes to talk about your giants. So in section two, we have now uh, the arrival uh, of David on the scene. Jesse sends him from Bethlehem with some supplies for his sons and asks him to bring back uh, news so he can be not so worried about what's going on. David leaves there. He comes home, and he, he comes to the battlefront and so this is like a, you know, a 15 or 20 mile walk from Bethlehem. He sees the battlefront, and he sees the Israelites all being afraid. And he, they're pointing to the giant, and David cannot believe it. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy is an uncircumcised Philistine. He doesn't belong here. What is he doing uh, insulting the armies of the living God? And so David is, is absolutely blown away by what's going on because he is full of faith. He is full of faith. He's come into this situation. He's believing that 
the God of Israel will give the victory to the army of Israel. So he just cannot believe uh, what's going on. He sees his brother, and the brother hears David saying, wait a minute, um, wait a minute. This is not, this shouldn't be. And the older brother, who is, remember, in the last story, has witnessed David getting anointed. The older brother is full of jealousy, and he goes, hey, you are conceited and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle, and besides, you left the sheep alone in Bethlehem. And, but David continued to speak and to say, this is absurd. This is, this is no way. And he kept talking to every soldier he could talk to, and finally, uh, Saul hears about it and sends for David. So we have this picture in section 2 here of this faith-filled shepherd comes into the story. Saul has chickened out and God has brought another who's going to step in to the vacuum. You know, the point of this section, I really believe, is be careful as you are invited to serve somewhere in the kingdom of God, to step in to uh, a dispute, maybe, to train your kids to uh, correct someone who's when you have to step in to the kingdom we often we often say not me or there might be an opportunity in the church and you say i can't do that but whenever we don't follow the calling that god has put on our lives and saul was the man called to step in in that situation god brings another so one way to summarize this little section is if we say no to God he always has someone ready to step in so online Dennis Spurgeon asks this is a good question is fear a lack of faith the answer yes <laughs> that's exactly what it is so we get to choose fear or faith that's what we're choosing Saul, gets, Saul got to choose it Eliab got to choose it. All the Israelites got to choose it. Dave got, David got to choose it. You get to choose. You get to choose fear or faith. So yeah, uh, just to answer that question. Um, I just wanted to point out one thing because I think in this time of election season and then this time of increased angst towards each other, I don't know if anyone's noticed that, the Eliab-David dynamic is something that we really should consider. Eli Eliab is jealous of David and he begins to accuse him of evil his actual language is I know your presumption and the evil of your heart listen there's a brother who looks at another brother who's following God looks at that brother and says I know the evil in your heart you know that Satan is the accuser of the brothers hmm. the only people who are accusing <laughs> their brothers and sisters are is demonically influenced is what I'm trying to say here. That's, that's partnering with something evil. When I look at a brother or sister who I should be unified with, and I go, I know the evil in your heart. So we need to be really careful. Amen. Oh, I know, I know who you're voting for. I know the evil in your heart. Oh, you're wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. I know the evil in your heart. I just want us to be very conscious. As soon as we look at someone, I, I, 
we're partnering literally with the enemy, right? So just, anyway, that just stuck out to me. So I want yeah. to throw that out there. No, that's good. Do not be found standing with the enemy accusing a fellow believer that Christ died for, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, um, we got a couple of comments from the McMillan family, and they're talking about the Philistines' uh, war strategy, and they've got this big, giant Goliath, and they're, they're, they're really not that good of an army. Well, you know, actually, the Philistines did have advanced technology that the Israelites did not have. They had chariots, which are really good on the flat areas near the Mediterranean. But we're in the foothills now, the Shephelah. We're in the foothills of Israel, and it's a little more mountainous and hilly. It's not quite as hilly as it is in Jerusalem, but you've got the foothills of the Judean mountains here. So they actually are not able to bring those chariots up into the hills. That, that they don't function very well up there. So I want to say uh, hats off to the McMillan kids, uh, but also recognize they did have superior technology. Now let's step into section three. So David basically says to Saul, look, I'm going to go in and fight this guy because this guy is insulting the God of Israel. And David uh, says, Saul says, well, wait a minute, you're just a kid. And David says, look, I've been actually a shepherd and I've killed a lion, and I've killed a bear. Now, we don't know if when David got the Holy Spirit, he got really strong, but he has killed a lion, and he has killed a bear. And so he says, I'm going to be fine. My God, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, is going to rescue me from the hand of this uncircumcised Philistine. So Saul says to David, go, and the Lord be with you, which is such a lame thing. He's such a, talk about a lame duck leader. You know, he, he says, okay, fine. God bless you, you know. Think, no way. Saul is saying, no way. This kid is dead. This kid is dead. But he tells him to put his armor on, and he walks around with this heavy armor for this guy who is way taller than him, and he says, I can't do that. I'm not used to that. I haven't tested that. Now, there are these shepherds with their slings. We've seen them in Israel. They put three Coke cans on a, on a stone fence 50 feet away, and they'll throw, and they'll hit the Coke can off the wall three shots most of the time. They're really good with their slings. And this is what David is going to go in with because I'm not used to them. He's going to go. So go with what God gave you, right? Throw your own stone. If you are gifted in a certain area, then use that gift in that area. If you are drawn to one part of the kingdom in service, then go and throw your own stone. This was a, a line that uh, one of my mentors, Ray Vanderlaan, used when we were studying this story. But each of us needs to be encouraged to throw our own stone and to step into the risk, step into the situation, and go with what God has equipped you with. This is how David's faith grew. I'm sure his faith was here, and then he killed the lion, his faith was here. Then he killed the bear, his faith was here. Faith is experiential, it's experimental. We, we step into a risk, God meets us there, we experience victory. If you've had victory over pornography, then you can help others 
have victory over pornography. If you've had victory over gambling or alcohol, you can help someone else because your faith has been validated by that experience. You've grown in your faith. So in this section, we learn that God wants us to throw our own stone. Make sense? All right. Um, anything on that? Now I was just going to see, does anybody have any thoughts on yeah. that? Any questions about that? Anything that's rattling around in your brain that you're wondering about? Because that's good revelation. That's good revelation from Dennis just there. Yeah, Lynn? I'm not sure I can talk through this thing because it ends up in my mouth. Yeah, you're perfectly clear. No, I mean my mask. <laughs> um, speaking of throwing the own, your own stone, uh, I've been waiting for what we're all looking for, which is revival as a result of this pandemic, and I really haven't seen much. But in the last couple weeks, I'm beginning to realize that maybe it's coming by way of the homeschoolers who are seeing now online what is some of them being taught to their children and they are appalled. Uh, the teachers are saying they don't want uh, the parents to watch their um, the video because they don't want the parents to see what they're teaching their children because they know that they'll be appalled. And I'm thinking, well, if there's something good to come from this pandemic, it might be that what hmm. we're teaching our children might be made right. Hmm. So it's, I guess it's up to those of us who, we are obviously beyond that, but people who are viewing things online that are being taught to their children and speaking up. Yeah, that's really good. And I just want to encourage you parents that are homeschooling because that's a game changer. And it's definitely not what you expected. It's definitely not probably what you planned for. But to step into that role is, is a great opportunity um, to include things like what we're doing today in what our, what our kids are, are learning in terms of worldview. So that's terrific. Rob just threw something uh, to Dennis and I. He said, this is great. Each one of us has different gifting and personalities. God created each of us uniquely to use our gifts for his kingdom, which Rob sounds a lot like Paul, who says, we're all members of the body. <laughs> we're not all eyeballs and all hands. We need each other. So, yeah, that's really good. Amen. Really helpful. So, section four, we're going to move into the actual battle, and here's where the, the action really starts happening. The the Philistine Goliath comes forward and he starts cursing David by his gods. And he says, come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds. Well, who are the Philistine gods? What is the Philistine god? Well, we learn earlier in the story in chapter 5 that their god is named Dagon. This is what he looks like. Dagon is the god of the depths. Remember, this is a maritime seafaring nation. So this is not the origin of Dagonit. Okay, that's not where this comes from. Uh, and this is not Aquaman, although he might have been one of the first Aquamans. But this is who Goliath is cursing. And the, the, battle, the battle goes on. And David hits him with the slingshot. 
and he hits him right in the forehead. And we see that the, that the uh, giant doesn't fall backwards. He falls forward, face down, where he's actually prostrate towards the Israeli people. And this picks up a story back in 1 Samuel chapter 5 where the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. They put it in their temple, uh, their temple of Dagon, and they find out in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, they find their god Dagon on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant, worshiping Yahweh, worshiping the God of Israel. And his hands are broken off and his head's broken off. And this is very, very intentionally the picture that uh, the author of 1 Samuel wants us to have as we see this story. And so, uh, by the way, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. (laughs) He's stunned. So David takes his sword, and I hate to give you the gory details, but I know there's some boys over here who really want to hear the gory details. He runs him through with the sword. Then he's dead. Then he cuts his head off. He cuts his head off. So now he's completely dead. But here is a picture of the defeat of evil by Yahweh. And Jamie's got something for us on that. Yeah, it's... it's and you might have noticed it when Dennis was praying Psalm 5. You notice that David is talking about enemies and God detests them. And Dennis actually shifted... And he actually started defining these things that God hates as spiritual, spiritual beings. Did you notice that? He, he shifted. Because let's be honest, I just want to make sure it's all real clear. When we say, what is your giant, we're not talking about people. Right? None of us need to take a sling and kill any person. We're not battling. In fact, Paul says, we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual forces. So it's important that we understand that when we see David and Goliath, it's a picture then of the greater reality and the greater triumph over spiritual evil itself. So Paul writes this, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So, because we're getting ready to discuss, what is my giant? I'm just, I want to throw out, it's not a person, just so you're clear. (laughs) The giant is, what is the spiritual reality that is encouraging me to be afraid and not trust God? It may be coming through a person, may be coming through a relationship, but it's actually a spiritual force behind it. And so just as encouragement, David slaying Goliath is pointing to Jesus triumphing over evil. So Colossians 2, 13 to 15, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, he took away the weapons of the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Jesus. 
Listen, there is a violence to David killing and cutting off Goliath's head. There is a violence of God towards your sin and my sin. It is violent. The Father has said, I hate your sin. I hate your rebellion. I hate the way you are postured against me. And it has separated us from him. And he has allowed violence for his, to his own son for my sin and your sin. Jesus dying on the cross is violent towards sin. And listen, if God is willing to defeat sin and death, he's willing to take care of all the rest of the stuff. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? The biggest problem we have is our own rebellion to God. The, the biggest giant, to use that language, is in fact my heart that doesn't yield to the Father. And Jesus has come to take that sin and rebellion and to give me his righteousness. So that's why Paul says like this, if God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If, he, if he's already slayed the greatest giant, sin and death in my life, why would he not also take care of the other things that are in my life? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has already killed the greatest giant in your life, your sin and your rebellion and death that is coming because of it. And he says, why don't you come to me and we'll walk through all these other little giants, the little baby giants that are still significant. I don't want to pass over that. I don't want to dismiss that. There's great fear in people's hearts, but I want to encourage you with good news. The greatest fear we all have has already been dealt with at the cross. Okay. Amen. So that's where we see in, uh, can you put that slide up for 1 Samuel 17? Uh, just go a little bit ahead of that, 1 Samuel 17. Yeah, so just want to repeat this portion. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. This is what you can say to your giant the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So we're going to take this question, what are your giants? Uh, what are my giants? And again, as we've defined them, things that I believe are too powerful for God. And we're just going to give you a couple of minutes here and at home to consider this question, discuss it amongst yourselves, and if you have anything to share, we will uh, give you some time to do that uh, as we draw this message to a close. So go ahead and spend some time talking about your giants. All right, well, that gives us only a couple of minutes. Um, but uh, if anybody has anything they wanted to share, that would be, this would be a good time. Anything coming to mind?
that uh, and you can you can count on the fact that if you have a giant someone else shares your giant that's for sure with the election coming up we have choices to make and um, there's a group here in Cincinnati that is working on dealing with this uh, from a conservative viewpoint and the question is where do you stand and we're about to launch a billboard campaign in the city and the billboard campaign and the headline says, where do you stand? There's six of them, but one of them, for instance, says on the left, rule of law. On the right, it says chaos, violence, uh, riots. And then there's a website you can go to which advocates for rule of law. Mm -hmm. And uh, the giant there is the, um, the well, the feeling that, or the or the view that our world's lost. We can't, you know, it's out of control. Where, where can I? What what can I do about it? And we need to recognize that and pray through that and take a stand. So uh, that's what David did. He took okay. a stand. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. We have somebody on online who's uh, saying. My giant is a fear of being inadequate. Um, and uh, Mark Abney is saying uh, a similar thing. My fear is trying not to make mistakes. So a fear of making a mistake. And just as an encouragement on this point, um, the re one of the reasons we're having you guys talk about it, and I will just encourage you, if you don't verbalize today, verbalize it to family, friends, because if you notice, Saul was hanging out in the tent pretending like Goliath wasn't there, right? Like, you know, like when I was a kid and you didn't want people to see you, you would close your eyes and think that you were invisible to everyone else. Y'all remember this? Uh, oh, they can't see me because, yeah. Sometimes we do that with our fear, but actually just verbalizing fear of inadequacy, fear of the need to be approved, just verbalizing it is already sling on, I mean, the stone is on the way. I've verbalized it. So I just want to encourage you, whether you write it online or, you, you need to speak, and the stone is on the way. Yep. So just as an encouragement, if we act like, oh, I don't want to say it, we're already in the tent like Saul. We're not stepping up. Amen. Yeah, Time for Katie one more. Here. Yeah. Let's finish off with Katie. May as well have the whole family join in. Um... I think one of my fears has been taking a giant leap of faith and God not showing up. And I've had, I'm not saying God hasn't shown up, but I've taken just a massive leap of faith in my life. And through that whole experience, never felt like God was there. Never felt like he showed up or strengthened me in any way. And I think that God, you know, after several years, <laughs> just showed me that um, my I put expectations on him on how he should show up. So that really, you know, he probably was there. <laughs> but because I expect him to be there in a certain way, I didn't think he was. But because of that experience, there's this massive fear of stepping out in faith again. Just to put a negative thought on it. At 
when we expect God to show up a specific way, um, we've got to give him freedom uh, to move uh, in his own way. And oftentimes he will come in ways that we do not expect. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they didn't bow down. They're about to be thrown in, and they look at the king and say, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Amen. So, whatever we're dealing with, there is a place where we get into our heart, like Katie's talking about. There's a place in our heart that says, I'm going to trust you even if what happens doesn't look like the way I want it to go. Even if Goliath doesn't fall forward, but he goes to the side, right? Like, what's the worst thing that happens? You die and see Jesus face to face forever. There's momentary, slight momentary affliction here. And there's an eternal weight of glory coming. So at the very least, the worst thing that happens is you are martyred and then you see Jesus face to face and your body is completely healed. And your heart is completely healed. And that giant, three millennia in, you won't be thinking, man, I wish he had like dealt with it the way I wanted him to. Right. Amen. Three millennia in to eternity. So... Uh, the giant is dead. We read now the, the denouement of the story is that the army overruns uh, the Philistine army. David, it says there that David takes the head and, of Goliath and brings it to Jerusalem. And I believe that is a, a down payment of faith on the fact that he will be the king in Jerusalem one day. And that is also a down payment on the fact that one day on the hill in Jerusalem, the Savior will defeat the enemy forever. And so don't look that verse 54. And there's one other thing I want to show you. In verse 52, it says, the dead were strewn all along the Sha'araim road to Gath. I want to come back to that little circle we saw on the hill uh, overlooking the Elah Valley. And it turns out that it was discovered in 2008. It is, it is a uh, Jewish war camp. Uh, and this next slide shows you what it looks like right now, what it would have looked like then. And it, there were two gates. One, the only forts in Israel with two gates, one gate facing the Philistines and one gate facing Jerusalem. And this the word for gate is sha'ar, and the word for plural of gates is sha'arim. Sha'arim is the, the city. And this was found to be, by biblical expositors, an example of the way the Bible's not accurate. No one knew where sha'arim was. And in 2008, uh, a, an archaeologist named Garfinkel found it, and we now see in the scripture, uh, again, the total victory of God, not only over the enemies, but even over the enemies of the word of God, this archaeological find shows us um, that this is completely authentic and completely true. So uh, the final uh, point on this section is uh, the battle is the Lord's. You put that up and he will give the giants into your hands. 
And so I just want to give you a quick postscript uh, till next week. Uh, the story finishes that Saul finds out who this young man is that's just killed the giant. This tells us that David has somehow changed appearance. He used to play the, harp, the lyre, for, the harp for Saul. He's now maybe a couple of years older. He's got a beard. I had a friend in grade nine who had a beard, uh, my friend Andy Longo. So that, that, is, that is maybe what David looks a little bit different now. But Saul obviously doesn't recognize him. And then when you go into chapter 18, you see that David finishes talking to Saul, and Saul's son, Jonathan, comes up to him and says, I'm in one spirit with you. So I don't know if, Saul, if, if Jonathan had the spirit to see the spirit in David, but he knew that David, not his father, was the true king. They made a covenant together, and then as they're coming back from the battle, all the women are singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So now we see the rise of David. Uh, he is now in relationship with the king's son. The, the king's son is essentially saying, I don't want to be the king. You're the right, my, I'm the rightful king according to my father, but you're the rightful king according to God. So I want to be with you. I'm on your side. And Saul now sees all this and recognizes that David is going to be trouble for him. So David is rising in popularity, and we're going to see how he handles that. And we see here he begins to handle it very graciously by making a friendship with the son of the king that he will one day replace. So next uh, week, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 20, 2 Samuel 9, and Psalm 133. And those will be our scriptures for next week. We're going to dive into the story of uh, David and Jonathan. And so for today, I want to close our time together today by encouraging you to get prayer. If you're online, uh, please text your name uh, to the number on the screen. And that's a confidential staff cell phone. And we will take your prayer request. And a prayer servant will call you promptly. Uh, and then also, I'm going to have you, uh, if you would like, here, prayer in person. We'll have prayer teams on the patio uh, after the service. So let me go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Father, we thank you, God, for the spiritual lessons uh, that you are giving us. Even now, Lord, someone would be saying... Uh, a fear that I'm not enough, that, uh, that there is some truth in that, of course, because we can't do things in our strength, but Jesus is more than enough. And we thank you, Lord, that he has defeated our giants on the cross, that he has opened the gateway to supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, that no matter what we have, as we explore these giants in community, God. I pray you'd bring them into the light. I pray that you would, uh, that we would renounce them and that we would turn them over to Jesus to be dispatched wherever Jesus would send them so that we may live the full life that Jesus has entrusted to us, the full abundant life that he has promised us on the grave. And Lord, um, 
we just declare now as we worship you in conclusion of this service that uh, you alone can rescue. You alone can rescue, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you for removing, Lord, the giants, the giant of our sin and our rebellion, and now the giants that seek to take that away from us. Thank you, Jesus, for nailing that to the cross and for triumphing over our enemies. We love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. And this week, Lord, as we make our I will statements, as we stand in the truth of what we have heard here today, pray, Father, you would equip us to take those steps that need to be taken, to turn from our sin, to turn from our fears, and to turn to you, the lover of our souls. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'm going to send you with a benediction from the end of the letter of Jude. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, power, majesty, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord in ages past, right this minute, and forever into the future. And the church said, wow, and amen. All right, have a great week.